When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for same race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Hi, it's Brett Phillips here, host of The First Serve, and thank you for downloading the latest edition of Aussies Only, one of our podcast offerings here at The First Serve. You can get your weekly live tennis fix with The First Serve every Monday night on the SCN Radio Network at 7pm Eastern. All the broadcast details of how you can listen can be found at our website, thefirstserve.com.au. Welcome to Aussies Only, the first serve's deeper look inside the game at home. Talking to those inside and outside the tram lines. Welcome to Aussies Only. Thanks for tuning in. All thanks to Latour Tennis. Head over to latourtennis.com to get your hands on the hottest tennis apparel in the game. It's your host, Jed Zetzer, and today we're going to be speaking to Andrew Whittington. Andrew was a top 10 ranked junior and went on to win eight singles titles, cracking the top 200 and tasting some success at Grand Slam level. Andrew won on his Grand Slam debut at the Australian Open and went on to qualify for the Wimbledon main draw. But Andrew's most impressive results came on the doubles court, claiming 22 doubles titles. He's an Australian Open quarter-finalist and semi-finalist and a member of the famous Top 8 club. I'm going to hand it over to my co-host, Jake Eames, a former pro and a great mate of Andrew's, to introduce the great man. Eamesy, take it away. Yeah, pumped about today's guest. It's always very special when you see a player through the domestic junior tournaments and then later on the main stages around the world. He's a top eight club member because of his results at the Australian Open. Welcome, Andrew Whittington. Hey, boys. How are you? Thanks for having me. Andrew, thanks so much for coming on the show. Really looking forward to getting stuck into this one. Just before we get stuck into, you know, your life and tennis, you're a Williamstown boy. How is it growing up there? And are you still living there now? Uh, yeah, look, uh, growing up in Williamstown, it's uh, very much a sporting community. So, um, you know, that was, that was my childhood, um, getting out there playing tennis, cricket, soccer, you know, every, every sport possible. So... Uh, yeah, growing up in that community, obviously, we've got the VFL team, um, the Seagulls, so going down to the ground there as well, watching that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm actually based in Yarraville now. Just moved out a couple of months ago, so not far up from Williamstown, but um, yeah, yeah, in Yarraville now. Mate, obviously, growing up in Victoria, massive state for AFL. What made you get into tennis and do you remember picking up the racket for the first time? Uh, yeah, so for my, I think it was my sixth or seventh birthday, my, um, my nan got me a racket um, and ever since it never left my hand really. You know, the, the good old days where dad was, you know, in the backyard with a, you know, a box of balls and I was just smashing it all around. I was a very active kid. Um, as I said, I always used to play a lot of sports. I couldn't sit down for, for too long. I was always bouncing off the walls. So tennis was, was, a, was one of my main sports. I also loved cricket as well. Um, obviously tennis and cricket have a 
some similarities. So, yeah, it was down to those kind of two sports. And, yeah, I stuck with tennis in the long run. If you didn't go with tennis, were you planning on becoming a pro cricketer? Oh, I wouldn't have gone that far. I don't think I was that good to go pro. But, um, no, I did, I did enjoy the, you know, the team atmosphere, um, obviously, that tennis doesn't have. So, that's, that's kind of why I stuck with cricket because, you know, I was around other kids my age and, um, yeah, could socialise with them that way. Fair enough, mate. You were a top junior, got to number six in the rankings. Being such a highly ranked junior, how did you find the transition to the pro circuit? Yeah, look, it, it, probably I took a little bit slower than a couple of other my peers. Maybe took me three or four years um, to kind of get back up there, I guess. In 2014, I had a really good doubles result with Alex Bolt. So then my doubles ranking kind of took over and I started playing some more doubles than singles. So, that yeah, in about 2015-16, one of my all-time friends and fitness coach Daniel Buber kind of brought me in and, you know, he, he told me that I should give singles a crack again and um, that's kind of where my singles career kind of uh, kicked off again. Yeah, we'll jump into the Aussie Open runs um, shortly. Back into the, the pro circuit, you won eight singles ITF titles and amazing amount of doubles titles, 20 titles to your name there, two on the challenger circuit. Two finals in the singles on the challenger circuit as well. What did you find was the, the step up between futures and challenges? Yeah, I guess the difference between futures and challenges was first couple of rounds in futures, you could find your feet a little bit. Probably about the quarters, semis, you're playing someone around 300, 400. Um, but where, you know, challenges, you, you get your teeth straight into, you know, 200, 300. So you've got to be right on the ball straight away from the word go. So, yeah, that's probably the biggest difference. You know, you've got to, you've got to step up in the, those big points because those guys, that's why they're ranked higher. It's, um, you know, they, they get the job done when, when it really matters. 2016 was a massive year for you. You started the year at 600 in the singles rankings and finished inside the top 200. What changed for you that year? Did everything just click into the gear? Well, it's probably the work I kind of did from about the middle part of 2015, really. As I mentioned, when Daniel Bubris, who, again, is a lifelong friend and my fitness coach at the time, kind of brought me in. And we were in actually in Vancouver at the time. I was playing, playing doubles and he kind of took me aside and said, look, mate, you know, um, I reckon if we can put in, you know, a big pre-season and you get you back yourself on the on the singles court, I reckon you can give it a real, um, you know, hot crack. And he gave me that belief that I kind of really needed, that I was maybe probably lacking. So, yeah, it's probably started in the middle of 2015, you know, with all that hard work and, you know, huge pre-season that, that probably really set me up for all those kind of victories that I did have in 2016 and the, the rise in the rankings. Yeah, and that just followed on to the wild card in 2017 for the Australian Open. Do you remember where you were, where you got the call, I mean, I've yeah. never experienced it. So what's the feeling yeah. like there, mate? Yeah, I was, um, no, I was just at home, actually. Uh, Might have been even on the PS4. So, yeah, I think I just, Leighton gave me a call. So as soon as I saw that name pop up, uh, the eyes did light up. So, you know, that time of the year, you're always, I guess, waiting on the phone or hanging out because obviously, as you said, you know, I did crack the top 200. I was, I think, maybe around 160 or so. So yeah. you, you just never know, really. And as soon as I saw that name pop up and, um, got the call, yeah, it was uh, a big smile on the old face. And what's it like, mate? Because a lot of time on the ITF Futures and Challenges circuit, you know, money becomes a big factor. You're, you're hustling around trying to make enough to, to make ends meet. And obviously, it's a big payday there to get uh, the wild cards into the main draw. But 
do you just push the money aside a little bit as well? Because it's just it's it's unreal to be playing in a Grand Slam event. I guess main draw. Yeah, I guess um, you know throughout my career, I my doubles actually did really help me to you know fund my I guess my singles, um, yeah. you know start up career. Um, I did have a lot of you know in 2014 we made the quarters, me and Alex, and we did even qualify for the Wimbledon doubles as well. So you know that 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 kind of keeps you ticking. You know for the other tournaments, obviously, obviously that doesn't pay as much. But yeah, I guess some of the bigger tournaments that I did do pretty well in, yeah, really helped me to fund my um, career. Andrew, tell us about that day, Australian Open round one, your grandson debut. You beat Adam Pavlicek out on court 15. What was the whole build-up like? How did the match unfold? And what did you do to celebrate? Uh, well, I guess my build-up probably wasn't the same as probably everyone else's. I actually, the week before, I actually played the Curon Classic um, in my sec- <laughs> and, in, and in my second um, match, I've actually, I've actually rolled my... No, oh, no, no the Curon Classic are hard. Yeah, yeah sorry. yeah. So I'm playing, um, I think it was Usney, I think. And I think it was 4-3 in the first set. And I've actually rolled my ankle. And I did a really good job of it. Blown up, you know, absolutely shattered. Because, you know, one week later, I've got, you know, I've got the wild card. I've got got to get ready for AO. And this is literally the last thing that you want, I guess, building up into, I guess, the AO. So there was, there was definitely doubt that I was actually going to play. Luckily enough, I had a really good physio who I'll never forget really dug into my ankle to try and get the swelling out. And I've never felt so much pain in my life. But a big thanks to Mark McGrath, who really got me kind of back out in the court. A lot of painkillers. But I guess maybe that maybe distracted me a little bit from maybe the nerves that I could have had. But, yeah, look, once I was out, there was it was all, you know, all guns blazing, really. I had my home, my family, my friends, coaches out there supporting me. And, yeah, there was no better feeling, really, um, getting out there. And yeah, uh, awesome. grinding away and getting the yeah getting the victory. Awesome to see you get to the, through that one. I think Jed was there watching you too. You yeah. played Karlovic in the second round. How was that, mate? Because I actually uh, see your game matching up fairly well there. You know, you've got great chip returns to be able to get that bomb back. Yeah. I lost yeah, four, look, four, and four. What do you what do you what are your thoughts yeah, on that match? Yeah, it was it was quite tough. I didn't really play, I guess, the way I really wanted to. Yeah, didn't play, play the level I was yeah really hoping for. You know, second round. Great opportunity. Um, he actually just came off a huge five-setter. So, you know, his body might have been a little bit tired. So I didn't really give myself a, a chance. I lost a couple of service breaks pretty early, which put me behind the eight ball. And, yeah, really just had a couple of break point opportunities and just didn't really execute, um, which was quite disappointing. Well, mate, I think you should roll an ankle every year before. <laughs> and slam because you, you, ended up, you ended up making the semifinals in the doubles as well. Knocking off the number one seeds at the time, who were Herbert and, and Mahout. Do you want to tell us about that run and specifically that win over the number one seeds? Yeah, well, um, yeah, it was amazing two weeks, probably two weeks that I'll probably never forget. Yeah, look, so 2014 made the quarters, as I said, with Alex Bolt. So then, yeah, coming into this one, I'd already, and I was really, I really wanted to win this one because I wanted to do one better than I did in 2014. So, yeah, it was a little bit of pressure. I mean, Marky quite funny we'd we'd never played with each other i think we'd only wow. maybe played one lead-up match um so yeah it's an amazing kind of story how yeah we got kind of put together and away we went to a semi-final so yeah it was an unbelievable victory i think i faced a couple of break points serving out for it so i was lucky enough to you know land a couple of first big first serves and uh yeah come away with the victory at least uh, one Victorian went through. You went down to Piers and Continent in the semi there. Um, yeah, that's, yeah. 
Mate, that was a big one for you because as I mentioned at the intro today, that puts you a part of the top eight club. So yeah. what's that all about, mate? And have you visited the lounge room and how's it all work? Well, funny you mentioned that because in 2014, I thought we made it, but it was actually the last eight people not pairing. So um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's kind of also why I wanted to get, get the victory because I knew that was kind of on the line as well. Um, yeah, I went, I think I went this year. Just a little lounge in Rod Laver, get accreditation and a couple of passes and tickets. So, yeah, that's for, for life, which is pretty cool. Later that year in 2017, you qualified for Wimbledon. Tell us about that whole experience. That must have been a dream come true for you. Yeah, well, this is probably my, probably my favourite memory um, out of everything, really. I was really probably struggling, um, you know, in the lead up. I don't think I've won too many matches. And again, I had, you know, Daniel with me, you know, just you know, going through the process, believing in myself. And I actually played a really good match the week before against um, Matt Ebden. In a, actually, we played first round of a qualies match, so that was pretty brutal. Um, lost six in the third. So that kind of set the tone for me for Wimbledon. Quite amazing story. And, you know, every match had a kind of a fairy tale. really. I was um, in the first one, I'm pretty sure I was 4-1, you know, facing down the barrel of against Stefan Robert, who previously made some um, really good results on the grass and, and in Grand Slam level um, and found a way to win that one 6-4 and a third. Then I played another really good grass quarter in Tim Smicek. I, I might be wrong, but I think I was a set down as well again mm. and came back and um, won that. But then, the, yeah, the last round was probably the, I guess, the icing on the cake where I was literally down and out. What was I? Two sets of love down, match points in the breaker. But I remember previous week, he, he kind of got really nervous at Queens. I think he played um, Jordan Thompson. And Tomo got him, I think, 7-6 in the third, also having match points in that match. So I, I just had that in my back of the mind. And he actually did throw a double fold in at 6-4 in the breaker. And then I just dug out a couple of points. Yeah, and won the third and fourth sets 7-6. And by the fifth set, rolled around. And he, he, uh, he pretty much tapped. Um, yeah, six love in the third, and that, yeah, I'll never forget that that feeling. It was a weird feeling, but it was one of the most uh, unbelievable feelings for sure. Yeah. So you first round, you came from a set behind. Second round, you were setting a breakdown, and then the yeah. third round, obviously two sets, and then you know facing match points. Yeah, two match points. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, unbelievable yeah, so, comeback. Yeah, and, and I guess you know there was a lot of I guess not doubting me, but um, I had a lot of people, I guess, second guessing me. So that was good for me to, you know, have that belief in my team and show what I could really, um, you know, put out there on the court. Mate, I was laughing earlier because I thought you said you were playing the, the club chance at Kuyong, not Kuyong Classic. Because I, I was thinking, oh, you played on grass before, before the Open. But I know you love the grass. <laughs> yeah, I know you. I misheard you there. But I know you love the grass. And in the main draw, first round, you drew Thiago Montero. Yeah, you went down in a tight one there. How's that one? How's that match sit for you at a probably one of your favourite services, Wimbledon first round? You know, a winnable match there for you, huh? Yeah, it yeah it doesn't sit comfortably with me. Um, yeah. I reckon it still haunts me to this day, really. So yeah, I remember hitting for the first time on Wimbledon courts because obviously we've gone from Roehampton for the qualies to Wimby and hit there on the first time with actually uh, Bolte and. I, I, I first hit for just, I reckon I hit for half an hour and I oh, golly gosh, it was slow. It was one of the slowest things I've ever hit on, like slower than clay, oh, hot day on clay. Really? Just, and I was, yeah, so I was, when, when I did that hit, I was, you know, it, it got in my head a little bit coming from Rohanton where it was slick, 
serve volley, you know, really kind of punching through the court to, you know, Wimby that was kind of just sitting up and you could just tee off. So, yeah, that kind of hurt me a little bit. I, I was always a step behind trying to get in. Um, obviously, as you know, like to get in as much as possible, use my slice craft. So, yeah, it was kind of a step behind and I had a re- it was actually a really overcast, cold, rainy day. So that didn't that didn't help. No, no, com- not complaining here. But, um, yeah, look, yeah, that one doesn't sit well. I think I lost third and four set seven six. But, you know, I guess that's the way it goes. You know, that's why he, he's been in the top 100 for a while. He just found a way to kind of, you know, beat me in the end. Yeah, it sounds like obviously being from Brazil, typically clay quarters. So yeah, sounds, yeah. Sounds my, like... I, my, don't worry, my eyes did light up when I saw that matchup. But yeah, no, it wasn't wasn't to be, I guess. Did you think about at all the second round possibility of playing a young uh, Kachanov? Uh, yes and no. You always have a quick glance. Not not too far. You're always got to go one match at a time. I did actually yeah. play him in a couple of futures. So and he and he touched me up. So it would have been again. It would have been nice to. Um, get that victory and try and, you know, get him on my favourite surface, but not to be. Injuries started to creep in midway through 2018 and I'd say it almost derailed your career a bit. Have you made the call to stop playing officially or are you leaving the door open to maybe make a return? Yeah, look, um, my hips aren't great. I get a lot of back pain. And I guess the biggest thing that, that kind of, you know, was hurting me was I wasn't enjoying it as much. I lost that passion, and as I think you two know, I uh, wear my heart on my sleeve. So I'm a very vocal person on court, unfortunately, at some times. So, yeah, I did lose that passion for a while. And, you know, if you do lose that passion, you know, five, 1%, 5%, it's, it's really tough to get back. So, and I, I really wasn't, I guess, in a great headspace. So I needed, I needed something to change. So, yeah, I kind of stepped away just quietly. <laughs> didn't do it, didn't say much, didn't yeah. Yeah, do much. So, and that's, that's kind of the way I am. So, yeah, I've, I've stepped away and I'm really enjoying myself now. Um, you know, just doing some other things um, other than competing. Obviously, I am still very competitive whatever I, in whatever I do. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I am at, at the moment. Yeah, and you're doing a bit of coaching at the moment. How are you finding the transition from going from player to coach? Yeah, look, I, I did that pretty slowly as well. As I said, um, I needed to kind of find my feet, you know, get... Get back to back to the happy happy self, I guess. Um, so yeah, no, I'm enjoying myself. Um, you know, I got some players here and there, but also you know, a good variety um, of coaching, which is which is great. You know, got this little five year old that just comes and he's you know he's a bundle of joy, which puts a smile on my face because it's great to give back to what I've been taught as well. So yeah, it's it's been a been a slow but I guess good transition. Did you always see yourself going into coaching post your playing career? Probably something I never thought about enough, I guess. Yeah, some part of me says yes, but then I guess some part of me says no. Um, you know, I've always liked to do something outside of tennis. I know tennis has given me so much, you know, as a junior and, uh, um, you know, throughout my career. So, yeah, there's, I guess it's, yeah, I guess it's split 50-50 in some way. So, yeah, I guess we'll see where, where it takes me, you know, in the next couple of years, wherever that is, I'll uh, be looking forward to it. With the, having a, like a, obviously a very experienced player's perspective, is there anything that you really take from the playing experience into the coaching we try, I guess, impart onto the kids that you're working with? Oh, yeah, big, big thing for me is effort. You know, that, that was something that, that kind of stood clear for me in, I think, um, in 2016, you know, when I went on my really big winning streak, you know, that my effort was always there. I never gave up. I never, you know, folded 
Um, obviously, I have in some matches, but you know, they weren't they weren't a highlight. But you know, that in the, as I said, in that 2016, where where my effort and my competitiveness was probably at a high, is what is what is what uh, has really stood out for me, and that's kind of what I'm trying to give back to kids. It doesn't matter how you're playing, you know, you might be having a a terrible day but if you can somehow find a way to you know to scrape out that victory there's not a better feeling because there's plenty of matches that I can that I can remember where I've been like or how did I get out of that one kind of thing so there is not a better feeling when you're playing bad and actually still winning yeah man I've I've personally seen you throw out some uh, clinical choppings and then some absolute (laughs) absolute scrappy wins as well so (laughs) Uh, I think I think I think we've all been there haven't we (laughs) yeah um, you, you touched on there that you, you do like to get involved in other things. I've actually talked to you a little bit recently about uh, your involvement with the Project 6 and all the great work you're doing there. And Daniel Buberis, who has been on the podcast before, um, is kind of leading the way there. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your involvement um, in, the, in the foundation and also you know, some experiences on your trips overseas? Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, obviously, as you know, Daniel and myself yeah, have a great friendship outside of tennis. And, you know, just a conversation that we've always had that I've, I've been, you know, wanting, as I said, to get not out of tennis, but, you know, doing something outside of tennis. And this is, you know, a perfect platform for me. Yeah, I'm just kind of really managing the, the Melbourne relationships. Yeah, and with our tour that we went on um, last year, it was completely eye-opening for me. You know, what, what kind of work we're really doing over there within the schools and the community um, and what kind of difference we're really trying to make over there. It's a different lifestyle, what, mm. the way they live. One of the days we went out to um, the poorest place in you know, Manila called Smoky Mountain, and it's a it's a fifty year old tip, um, and we did like a little tour through how they live there, and it was absolutely mind boggling. Words can't describe this place how how poor how what what it's really like there, and it quite, kind of really got to me how how bad it was there and that kind of is driving me to you know make a difference you know not just in tennis but in you know sport in uh, in general so this is why you know I'm, I'm on board and I'm a big believer in you know making a difference within a community. Did that whole experience change some of your coaching philosophies? Great question yeah it really did actually because when I did come back I tried to use those experiences that I did have over in the Philippines, you know, back to these kids, you know, how good they really, again, I know everything's different um, here in Australia compared to Philippines, but how good we really do have it here. You know, just trying to use those experiences and explain to them, you know, these kids, they have nothing really. Um, you know, they've got, they're, they're, they were so appreciative of, you know, everything that we kind of helped them with and gave them. And so, yeah, with these that's just trying to the experience that I'm trying to give back to these kids and say, look, you know, you know, you might be having a bad day, but guess what? You know, if you keep just putting that effort in, you, you never know really. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. I guess impact that you guys are having on over there. Did you ever think that sport would take you in that direction at all? Um, and be able to, I guess, impact communities that way. Yeah. haven't really thought of that one. I get, you know, I'm, I'm very happy that it has, you know, it's, it's something that's, that I strongly believe in that sport can, you know, give back and, you know, put a lot of smile, smiles on faces, you know, with, especially with mental health, you know, even when the pandemic that we are in, you know, sport is a great outlet for, for kids and adults to get out there. And, and, you know, it's, it's away from, you know, maybe their struggles and, you know, it's time to themselves that they can just enjoy. Andrew, we've got some fan questions here that have come through. Oh, the this first, will be good. Yeah, it will be. <laughs> the first one, 
what is your favourite match that you've played? All right, I'll go with singles. My singles one was probably the final round of Wilmington against Dennis Kudlow, that one, you know, scraping that one out. And finally, you know, making it from Roehampton to the big stage. I, obviously, I'd done it in the doubles scenario, but to do it in the single scenario was probably, you know, so much better to do, really. And in the doubles, I'm probably going to go back to 2014 when me and Alex played Vadasco and Marrero. They were actually kind of, they were actually the world champions at that stage. They won the world uh, ATP World Tour Finals. So, and as a young, I think I was 20 at that stage, you know, beating them. You know, you looked up to Vadasco. Always remember that match he had with Nadal in the semi-final. So going out there and beating him, actually getting him cranky was even better. So that's probably my favourite doubles match for sure. Mate, the next one is, what's your favourite shot? And have you got any tips on how to execute it? Oh, I think many people will know that my favourite shot is probably the slice. As many people know, my backhand, very sus. So don't mind to get the, the old <laughs> chisel out. So, yeah, again, on the slice, I always like to think it's, you know, it's not a chop. It's, it's kind of, you know, a nice smooth kind of through the ball um, action. Not, yeah, as I said, not chopping. So, yeah, that's probably my little tip. The next one is, who's the toughest opponent you've faced? Probably Gasquet when I got absolutely touched up in China. Uh, when I played my first ever ATP 250, kind of had a couple of tough battles in the qualies and then first round kind of scraping through again and then, yeah, kind of getting to, you know, play him. And it was, you know, some tight games, but the scoreboard didn't say that either, though. So, yeah. Shandrew, we've asked this to most of our guests and we usually get a pretty similar response. Yeah. Um, you might get different place? from me. Yeah, well, look, we're hoping so. Where is the worst place the tour has taken you? Mm, obviously, there's some there's some dirty places in China. Yeah, there or maybe like even I've been to Morocco. I remember going on a junior. I reckon I was there for a grade three. Um, so maybe that maybe that one. I can't really remember it too too well. So yeah, maybe that that Morocco one or a China. Yeah, somewhere in China for sure. Yeah, China's China's been the common answer, but um, yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned Morocco though because I've heard a few stories uh, about people yeah. traveling there too. Well, I was, I was probably 16 at the time, you know, and I remember even getting like our laundry done and we got stung for about 500 US dollars, you know, for a couple of clothes just because they can, you know, we're in a foreign country, you know, I'll never forget that and can't really remember, I can't remember the hotels too well though. Tough, uh, tough times. Uh, nah, the good times, good times though. Good, good times, times, that's it. That's yeah, it. exactly. The, the next one is, is there any chance of a comeback? Uh, you never say no, do you? No, I know this one's <laughs> going to get played. This, this one's going to get played back a while. Yeah, I don't know. Look, if anything, you know, I still enjoy doubles. You know, too bad they're not doing some double UTRs. Oh, don't worry, I've, I've sent an email out. <laughs> nah, look, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, let, let's just leave that, that door a little open. All right, mate, we'll leave it open. Hope to see it's you not, back out not, it's, there. It's, yeah, my door's open, but it's not fully shut. No, it's good to hear. I just yeah. hope uh, hope we don't come across you too much, uh, Royal South Yarra versus Kuyong too often because hate seeing you in the lineup, mate. Uh, uh, that's all right. But, you'll, just uh, have to, you'll just have to get the final this time, Evesy. That's all, mate. Yeah, cheers, cheers. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, Wit, mate, it's been great to chat with you. Um, awesome career. You're doing so many great things since, since retiring and stopping playing. Uh, wish you all the best and look forward to seeing you around. Cheers, boys. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Aussies Only. Remember, if you missed any of our previous episodes, you can listen back. 
We've sat down for extended chats with guests including Daria Gavrilova, James Duckworth, Luke Saville, most recently Alison Bai in last week's episode, and many, many more. You can listen into all those episodes on your favourite podcast platform. Look forward to doing it all again next week, and thank you for tuning into this week's edition of Aussies Only. Subscribe to the First Serve via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform to listen at your convenience to all our weekly content, including past editions of Aussies Only, as well as our dedicated commercial radio program each Monday on SEN that you may have missed at 7pm Eastern. Crunching the numbers and in the huddle produced by Study and Play USA. Subscribe to The First Serve, your home of tennis. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.